I think I may have preached from this text like something like eight years ago or something like that, but um, I think it was on my mind because uh, there's been a lot of bad news about what's happening in our schools and uh, the kind of abominable practices and indoctrination there are is happening here with so many children in our country and I was just reminded of this passage actually late last night <laughs> I was reminded of this passage I woke up at 1:45 in the morning this morning thinking about this passage and uh, so that became today's message so um, and I I hope that it will be the encouragement to you that it is to me to just remember um, our Lord Jesus attitude toward children and how that should be reflected in every Christian. I'd like to read from Mark chapter 10, beginning verse 13 through verse 16. Mark chapter 10, verse 13, tells us that uh, they then brought little children to him, meaning Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Let's pray. Holy Father, I... Uh, come to you on behalf of all of us who know you here this morning and confessing our deep need for the work of your spirit in our hearts. We know that we are believers because you chose us from before the foundation of the world and that through the power of your spirit you opened our eyes so that we might see and enter the kingdom. You, you showed us who Jesus really is. You granted us faith and repentance. You gave us new life through your spirit, regenerated us so that we might know Christ. And we know that we're dependent on you every day for that continual work of your spirit in our hearts to illumine our minds, to soften our hearts, to help us to understand your word better and to become more like Christ as a result and to live as those who magnify Christ more fully as a result. And so we pray that you will fill us with your spirit to that end now. Fill us with understanding. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me to clearly communicate your word, uh, that you will uh, protect me from moments of confusion and a stammering tongue and forgetfulness and help me to do a good job of explaining this passage for the sake of your kingdom. We ask these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In his uh, commentary on this passage, Kent Hughes actually referred to a letter that was dated June 17, 1 B.C. Of course, the guy who wrote it 
didn't write 1 BC on it, right? That's the way we date these things. But uh, that's when it was written. And it was written from a man named Hilaron uh, to his wife Alice concerning the birth of a child. And the letter said this, quote, If it was a male child, let it live. If it was a female, cast it out. Now this referred to the practice of leaving infants to die of exposure if unwanted for any reason. And the, the father could just make that decision. And that had to be done. This was a practice that wasn't outlawed in Roman law until AD 375. So this was a common, a relatively common occurrence um, under Roman law in the first century. David Garland says of the practice uh, here and of the perspective on children in the ancient world that, quote, the ancient world did not have a romantic notion of children. Children added nothing to the family's economy or honor and did not count. In the Greco-Roman world, one could literally throw children away by exposing unwanted infants at birth. The unscrupulous would collect exposed children and raise them to be gladiators or prostitutes and even disfigure them to enhance their value as beggars. Of course, we know looking back also that many Christians would look along the riverbanks and save these children and raise them as their own. In our own culture today, we can see an atmosphere developing that is becoming more like the ancient Greco-Roman world all the time. In fact, we're probably there almost completely at this point. In fact, we're worse in some respects. Although the exposure of infants is not very often practiced, the equally repugnant practice of abortion is rampant. The exploitation of children is becoming more and more common as well. And this doesn't even take into account the way that children, if desired in the first place, are being harmed by the breakup of about half of the marriages in this country, it would seem. Not a, not a very good culture in which to be a child, actually, if you really stop and think about it. In today's passage, though, we'll see that Jesus had a very different view of children than so many people had either in the first century Greco-Roman world or in our 21st century Western world. He, not only did he accept children with love, but he also heightened their status by using them as an example for all to follow if they would wish to enter the kingdom of God. So we can see that children are very special for our Lord Jesus. And they should be special to us. And we should grieve over the way children are regarded in our culture and do everything we can to resist, to resist it and speak the truth. As we examine uh, Jesus' treatment of children in this passage, I want to highlight two main points. The first is this. We should accept children the way Jesus does. We should accept children the way Jesus does. And the second main point I'd like to draw out is that we should accept Jesus the way children do. So first of all, we should accept children the way Jesus does. Um, beginning in Mark 13, 10, 13, excuse me, uh, we're told that they uh, brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them, uh, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Now the Greek word translated little children in the New King James Version that I'm using here is paideon, and it's a word that 
may refer not only to a small child, but occasionally also to an infant. It's typically just used to small children. But once in a while, you might see it refer to an, an infant. And in this instance, we know that many of these small children that were being brought to Jesus were indeed infants because uh, Luke indicates this in his parallel account. In Luke 18.15, we're told, then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. So this, the parents were bringing their small children, including infants, apparently, to Jesus that he might touch them. That's what it says in both accounts, that he might touch them. Uh, now, this actually is an expression that refers to the practice among the Jews of blessing children accompanied by the laying on of hands. And that was a, a tradition that went back at least to Isaac and Jacob. Remember, uh, they each wanted their father to lay hands on them and bless them. And uh, you know the story, how that went for Jacob and Esau. So this is a very old practice. Um, but it could also be that if there's a, a, a renowned rabbi, as many regarded Jesus to be, and a, a holy man, that they might want that holy man to bless their, their child. And of course, uh, who wouldn't want Jesus <laughs> to bless their child? Um, that this kind of blessing is what was being sought from our Lord Jesus is brought out even more clearly in Matthew's parallel account, which says that little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. And it's also made explicit later in this account in verse 16, uh, where we'll see that Jesus does in fact respond to the parents bringing their children to him by placing his hands on them and blessing them. And a blessing is, is a prayer for them. Now, we're not told why the disciples rebuked those who were bringing their children to Jesus. Uh, perhaps they were just trying to give Jesus a chance to rest. He was a busy guy. Uh, uh, whatever their motivations may have been, however, Jesus' response to them will show that they were definitely not concerned for the children, as they should have been. Uh, for they obviously didn't feel that these children were important enough to trouble Jesus with them. We see Jesus' reaction in the first part of the next verse, 14 there. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, now what did he see? He saw them forbidding the children to be brought to him. He saw this going on. He was greatly displeased, it says, and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Of God. <clears throat> now, the Greek word translated greatly displeased here in the New King James Version means something like to be indignant against what is assumed to be wrong. So it's really speaking of like a righteous anger, that kind of displeasure. Um, Jesus' response then is, is righteous anger toward what he sees as a grievous wrong that's being done to these children who are being kept from the blessing their parents desire for them and that he himself obviously desires for them as well. Jesus' strong reaction is also evidenced by his emphatic statement without the connective, the conjunction and in the Greek text, let the children come to me, do not forbid them. It is interesting that Jesus describes the children here who were told were brought to him in verse 13 says they were being brought to him. But notice what Jesus says. He describes them as coming to him. Isn't that interesting? Uh, this is no doubt due to the children's simple uh, 
acceptance of Jesus, especially as examples of the proper approach to Christ, we'll see. And that'll be the focus of our attention later. For now, we'll direct our attention to Jesus' acceptance of the children, which is still our focus. As I've already pointed out, this acceptance may be further seen in verse 16. So let's just jump down to verse 16 now for a few moments. Well, we see that um, not only did he speak in his displeasure to the disciples, but he actually took the children up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, Jesus shows his love for children not only uh, through words and the granting of a blessing to them through the laying on of his hands, but also by tenderly and affectionately taking them up in his own arms. Um, this is a very strong contrast to the disciples' reaction, isn't it? Not only does he say, well, bring them here, but he takes them in his arms. He holds them and puts his hands on them and blesses them in that respect. And, of course, the contrast between his reaction and the disciples' reaction uh, may be further seen in the Greek word translated blessed. Uh, now, this word is quite informative, I think, in two respects. First, the usual word meaning to bless is a Greek word eulageo. We actually get a word eulogy from it, although we don't think of eulogies as blessings, right? Uh, and that just goes to show you that you can't anachronistically read later words back into earlier times, right? It meant a blessing then. But, but that's the typical word, eulageo. Here, the word is kata eulageo. They, they stick a preposition, katam, in front of it, uh, which is intended to give it uh, sort of an intensifying effect. He's really blessed him, right? Kind of effect. Um, this is why the linguistic key to the Greek New Testament says that Jesus blessed them fervently, in no perfunctory way, but with emphasis. It's almost like he went out of his way to fervently bless them in the presence of the disciples as like a further rebuke to them and a clearer indication to the parents of how important this was to him to bless them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the tense of the verb for the Greek scholars here. It's an imperfect tense. It indicates in this context that Jesus was taking each child into his arms and blessing them one by one. It's talking about a repeated action. Just, it wasn't just one child as representative of a bunch of children that he picked up. He was picking up all the children that were being brought to him and holding them and blessing them. Can you imagine the time this was taking? for Jesus to do this. We don't know how many children were brought to him, but you can imagine with the crowds that were around Jesus, there were probably more than a few, right? But this is, this is how important our Lord Jesus thought this was. That this is how important children were to him, but also the lesson that he wanted to teach through these children, how important that was to him as well, as we'll see. But he did this repeatedly. William Hendrickson suggests that the verse should best be translated. And having taken them in his arms, he tenderly blessed them. One by one, laying his hands upon them. He says, we should bring this out uh, better, he feels. In other words, Jesus didn't just quickly touch each child as they were carried uh, past him. Right? Touch this child, touch that child. Um, uh, Rather, he made time to spend with each of these children in order to show his grace and love toward them individually, it would seem. 
And I would say that in a culture that is becoming increasingly apathetic in its attitude toward children, of course, by the grace of God, not among us here at Emmanuel, but in a culture like ours, it's, it's especially important for us to learn from the example that Jesus set for the disciples in this passage. It, because it's an example for us as well. Perhaps we should ask ourselves some questions like, uh, do I find myself becoming grieved or filled with righteous anger when I see children abused or ignored? Or do I just ignore them too? Um, if so, um, is it a genuine fruit of the Spirit that leads to action? See, some people can say, boy, I hate that those children are being mistreated, but they don't do anything about it. They might not even go home and pray for them. Surely we should at least do that much. We can ask ourselves, do I try to make time for the children that God puts in my path in order to demonstrate the grace of God toward them and, and to be a blessing to them? Do I take time to listen to children when they try to speak to me or, or do I have the attitude of so many that children are to be seen and not heard? Now, sometimes it's true. There are some children that are precocious and interrupt all the adults around them and they need to shut up, right? And they need to be disciplined. But not in such a way that they're treated as as though they don't matter at all. That should never happen. We can ask ourselves, do I seek ways to show genuine affection to my own children and to the children of others? Just being kind. Being kind to them. Uh, I think David Garland also has some helpful insights for the application of this text to our lives when he writes, quote, Jesus commends children to his disciples there to extend loving care for them and not to block them off as insignificant. Our attitude toward the value of children's surfaces and how we care for the facilities for children in the church and how much of the budget is designated for their care and training and how we integrate them into our worship. Do they appear in worship only as cute performers who sing their song and then are shuttled off out of sight in earshot? so that they cannot disturb what we regard as more important, our own quiet worship. That kind of used to happen here years ago. The little children would be here at the very beginning of the message, or the service when I first came here, and then they would be shuffled off to what they call children's church. We quit doing that, uh, partly because I didn't like it. By the way, I think there's a precedent in the Bible that children were present at the, at the worship time. Um, you can see that, for example, uh, in Ephesians and Colossians, where letters written to the churches address children. And we know from the epistle of the Colossians, these letters were intended, when Paul wrote them, to be read in the presence of the churches. So if Paul's intending that these epistles be read when the church is gathered together for worship, and he's addressing children in those epistles, then he expects children are there with the adults for worship, I would assume. It seems a necessary inference to me, at any rate, that we have a biblical precedent, an approved example, if you will, of this. So we started doing that. 
I think I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of Emmanuel Baptist Church in this area, if I may be so bold as to be proud of our church. Uh, because we do welcome our children into our time of worship, and sometimes they get noisy and fidgety, and we don't mind. Because when families get together, that's what you find. And we're a family. And sometimes when families are together, uh, children can be noisy and fidgety. So what? We love them. We want them to be with us, hearing the word of God with us, worshiping with us, seeing the example of their parents, honoring God first and foremost in their lives in worship with the saints. I'm also glad that God has given us children to help through our children desiring God and youth ministries. And Jesus' example makes me want to pray more for them and to renew my resolve and determination that our church should continue such ministry, even though it's demanding and stressful at times. Uh, I just recently said to, to my wife, after spending a day watching three of our grandchildren, you know, I don't, I'm only, I just turned 57 in July, right? So I'm, I feel like I'm still a young guy. But after a day with my three grandchildren, I started to feel old. <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I felt old today. <laughs> uh, because, well, children are work, right? Because I said that maybe that's why Jesus' disciples didn't want to burden him with them. We don't know why they did what they did. We just know that their priorities were wrong at that time because Jesus made that pretty clear. And I would say even if you're not one of the people in our church that has the opportunity that God hasn't called you to be a Sunday school teacher for the children or to work with the children's ministry on Wednesday night, um, or maybe you're not even a parent, and you, or maybe your children are grown and out of the house, and uh, you can still pray for all the children in the church regularly for their salvation, for their growth in Christ. We all, we all can love the children in the church that way. And to pray for those people who are serving our children as well. But whatever role God has given each of us with the children that he brings into our lives, we should not forget Jesus' example recorded for us in this passage. At the very least, we can pat him on the back and say a prayer for him. The very least we can do that. Anybody can do that kind of children's ministry. We can show love. With that, having seen how we should accept children the way Jesus did, let's turn our attention now to our next major point. <clears throat> and that is this. We should accept Jesus the way children do. We should accept Jesus the way children do. In the last part, uh, verse 14, after his rebuke there uh, began of the disciples, he said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, when our Lord Jesus says, of such is the kingdom of God, he's teaching that children exemplify qualities that are inherent in those who are part of the kingdom of God. There's something about these children that's indicative of qualities of people who are in the kingdom. That's the kind of thing he's saying. It shouldn't surprise us then when we find that little children are often more receptive to the gospel message than are adults, right? Um, 
As Charles Spurgeon put it, I will say broadly that I have more confidence in the spiritual life of the children that I have received into this church, Spurgeon said, than I have in the spiritual condition of the adults thus received. I will go even further than that and say that I have usually found a clearer knowledge of the gospel and a warmer love to Christ in the child converts than in the man converts. I will even astonish you more by saying that I have sometimes met with a deeper spiritual experience in children of 10 or 12 than I have in certain persons of 50 or 60. I have to agree with that last statement, um, though, though I'm not thinking of any of you. Let's just say I've known some persons of 50 or 60 that the children in this church put to shame. I don't think Jesus would have been at all surprised to hear such things, especially in light of what he went on to say in verse 15, where he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now, we've seen in, in verse 14 that Jesus taught that little children exemplify the kind of persons who make up the kingdom of God. And now here in verse 15, we find his very strong statement that unless one is in some way like a little child, he will by no means enter the kingdom. The Greek there, we have a few Greek scholars in here, ume, it's a double negative. There's two different words for no or not in the Greek, and when we put a double negative together, it, it equals a positive. But when you have a double negative in the Greek, it is a very strong negative. And that's, they attempt to bring that out in the New King James by saying, well, but there will by no means enter it. It's, there's no possibility of them entering it, is what he's saying, if they do not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. But what does he mean by that? In what way or what ways must we be like little children in order to enter the kingdom? In answer to this question, or at least my attempted answer, I would suggest that there are a couple of things that stand out to me in this context. First, uh, we have read in verse 13 about the children who were brought to Jesus. They were brought to Jesus. This means that they were dependent on those who brought them. This is especially true of the smaller children and the infants who are completely helpless, right, without their parents. These children then serve as examples of those who cannot do anything in their own effort to receive a blessing from Jesus. So if Jesus is holding a little child that could not have possibly been there unless his parents brought them, and he's saying, you have to be like this little child to enter the kingdom of heaven, he may be indicating to us that you have to recognize you're as helpless as this child is. That you can't do anything more than this little child has done to receive a blessing from me. It's not your own works. It's not your own effort that's going to get a blessing from me. You will not receive the blessings of the kingdom in your own effort. So we have to recognize our dependence upon Jesus for his gracious blessing. We must see that we're powerless to help ourselves. We must simply rely on Jesus who can bless us with salvation through his loving work on our behalf. 
That's the first thing I would point out that I think is a legitimate application here or explanation from the passage. Secondly, in verse uh, 15, Jesus has specifically asserted that we're to be like little children in the way that we receive the kingdom. In the way that we receive it. Isn't it true that little children are usually much more open to the reception of a gift than adults are? Or to accepting the truth than skeptical, hard-hearted adults can often be? We will always need to be like little children as we approach God, coming to, to the, uh, him as uh, those who are helpless without him, and, and also coming as those who are completely open to the reception of the gift of salvation and his continued grace in our lives. We have to recognize our own need and dependence upon him, our own helplessness, and then we have to be willing to receive what he has to offer in simple faith and trust. See, little, little ch- that little child he was blessing wasn't questioning, why are you blessing me? I don't know if I want your... No. They just received it. I'd like to conclude then with a final word for those who have trusted in Christ and then one for those who haven't. For those of us who have already come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, how would we apply this? Well, I think we should repent today of any of the ways in which we may have failed to accept and love children as Jesus did. If, if there have been moments in our lives when uh, we had an opportunity to show love to a child that we didn't take, we should look back on that and say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry for that. Please help me to be more tuned in to the children in my life than I have been. Help me not to be like those disciples who are so busy with other things and have so many other concerns that the children around me are not a consideration at all. Help me instead to be like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will always make time for a needy child. Because all children are needy. We know that because if you leave them alone, they're going to die, right? (laughs) They're all needy. That's what it means to be a little child. And then we can also pray for a renewal of childlike faith in our hearts. That don't mean childish faith. There are a lot of childish Christians about these days who might imagine they're childlike, but that's not the same thing. Immaturity and foolishness are not what Jesus wants from us, and that's childishness, right? But a childlike faith that just simply trusts the Lord. We talked about this last week and the previous week when I talked about the problem of evil and how I don't think the Bible really explains it for us. We're just called upon to trust him. Not to demand answers to every question we have, Not to imagine that we're smart enough to understand the answer if he gave it even. But that's what childlike faith is. It says, Lord, I I trust you. I don't need all the answers. Just like the little child trusts his parent 
his or her parents implicitly without having to have everything explained. It's as they grow older, they start asking that. <laughs> so let's, let's pray for a renewal of that kind of faith in our hearts. God's word says it, and that's good enough for me. I trust him. And the, the world around us will see that as foolish. But so what? They're not our standard. Now, for those here today who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I encourage you to acknowledge your spiritual helplessness before God and to, to simply receive the free gift of eternal life that he offers you through his son, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus existed as God and, and he became man. He took on human form. He was fully God and fully man in one person in such a way that his deity neither added to nor subtracted from his humanity and his humanity neither added to nor subtracted from his deity. He was perfectly both in one person. And that's a great mystery that we Christians accept with childlike faith. And he lived a sinless life having been born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He perfectly kept all of God's righteous commandments. And he went to death on the cross for our sins. And there, he didn't just die a horrific death. He bore the wrath of God for our sins as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the sinless sacrifice for our sins. And then he rose from the dead and he conquered death on our behalf. And he says all we have to do is trust him. Trust in his death for us that he paid the price for our sins. Trust that he rose from the dead. That he is who he says he is. That he ascended to the Father's right hand where he, he ever lives to intercede for those who have put their faith in him. And he's coming again, you know, for us. You have, to, you, have to you have to receive that like a little child. Unless you receive his kingdom, his sovereign role as a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. It's closed off to you. You either trust him completely or you don't. You either trust what he did for you and that in your own efforts or you don't. It's that simple. Let's pray. Holy Father, it is my prayer that you will take these words then uh, from, from your word and drive them deep into our hearts. Uh, whatever I've managed to express that is truly taught in this text, that, Lord, drive deep into our hearts and transform us by it. Through the power of your spirit, strengthen every believer here to be more Christ-like. Not in, in our attitude toward children, but also in our childlike faith in you. Uh, Holy Father, 
for anyone who's not yet come to know you as his or her Lord and Savior, I pray that today he or she would bow the knee and ask the Lord Jesus to do for them what only he can do. Save them from their sins and receive the free gift of forgiveness of everlasting life. I ask these things for our good and for your glory and in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As always, I thank you for your kind attention.